Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Welcome everyone. My name is Vian. I'm the pastor here and it's a privilege to be here tonight and to share with you the word of God, but before I do so, let me just pray for us and then we can jump in. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you that we can be here tonight, Father. And really just pray, Lord, for a shift of perspective, Father, when it comes to the gospel, Lord, who you are, what you've done for us. And just to experience again, Lord, the finished work of Christ on the cross. It is done, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that that can shift and impact, Lord, everything we do, Lord. We pray, Father, for the people, Father, that are so tired, Lord, doing the right things, Lord, but for the wrong reasons or with the wrong mentality, Father, and the things that are supposed to give life and fulfill end up draining us more and more. Sad reality, Lord. But thank you, Lord, that you want to come and give life. And thank you, Lord, in the midst of deception abounding, Lord, we can know, Lord, that your word is true and that we can stand on it, Lord. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here guiding us into all truth. And thank you, Father, for your perfect heart and your grace and love towards us. We thank you for your goodness, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing with our sermon series on the book of Colossians. We're six weeks in, and our title for tonight is It Is Finished. Not the series. We're still going on with the series next week. But it is finished, and we're going to look at chapter 2 from verse 8 to 15. And just to quickly recap, as we've went through the series, it's a very confronting book where Paul writes to this church that have been encountering some false teachings, false gospel, a false Jesus, a distortion of who Jesus is, a distortion of what the gospel is, and with a lot of extra things that needs to come into play, like Maria shared so beautifully last week, speaking about legalism, you know, the, the gospel, the works of Jesus, plus good works, plus festivals, plus diets, plus certain things that we should do. Or certain things that we shouldn't do. We also focused on mysticism. You know, everything is about an experience, a feeling, or about seeing visions, or having this greater revelation, or these greater knowledges. It's basically, mysticism is basically lawlessness with emotion mixed in there. Do what you want as long as you feel good doing it, you know, kind of thing. And something we should be very beware of as a charismatic movement as well, being part of the charismatic church, specifically when it comes to mysticism. Because we kind of learn a, a certain way of speaking. I don't know if you've, you've noticed that. When, when we think something is a good idea, people tend to say, you know, God said. Which is not the same, if you get what I'm saying. And kind of many times just a, a lack of the fear of God in the church. You know, like what the, the one pastor says, he thinks many people are going to get to heaven one day and God is going to tell them, you said them, you told them, I said what? And as we just throw that words around, God said, I feel, I experience. To be very careful when we use those lingo, that sort of language that we kind of teach. And many times we can drift into that mysticism. And many times a kind of a mysticism mixed with legalism. We want to do a lot of good things, but we also want to believe that God said we should. So we kind of mix the two. We should do this new thing because God said so. Very important for us to steer away from those types of things. And then also, asceticism, meaning that we withhold ourselves from certain good things so that God can be more impressed with us. 
One of the ways we see that is specifically again in the charismatic movement is fasting but doing for the wrong reason. We don't fast so that we can be with Jesus. We fast so that we can get some answers or some breakthrough or some healing, whatever the case might be, which is not the purpose for that. And very quickly these things infiltrate the church. And Paul's writing to them about the gospel, about what Jesus has done. A very confronting book because like I say, it tells us what the gospel should produce and then how it looks like in every area of life. We're going to start looking at that from next week, getting a bit more practical. How it looks like in the church. How it looks like in the household. How it looks like in the workplace. And how it looks like in the world. Very confronting book. And like we said from the very beginning in the first chapter, we saw that when we truly believe the true gospel, it produces something. And it produces it immediately. It says, since the day you truly heard and understood the word of truth, it produces faith, hope, and love. And it does so increasingly as we obey God, as we get to know God more, this grace increases in our lives. As the knowledge of God increases through the word of God and through the spirit of God, it increases in hope, increases in faith, increases in love. And then as we mature, joy also comes into the picture, doing so joyfully and thankfully. Because we realize that God has shifted us, as verse 13 says of chapter 1, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. It's a total transfer. Our whole lives shift. Everything changes. Not just what we experience and feel in a certain area of life, but in all areas of life. We've been shifted from kingdoms. Everything changes. And like we said many times, we don't experience that. Instead of being people full of faith, we are fearful. Instead of being known for love, we are selfish. Instead of being hopeful, we are anxious. And instead of being full of joy, we are bitter and we are critical the opposite of that and Paul says the problem is not your surroundings it's not the people around you it's not your circumstances it's your view of the gospel because if you truly believe the true gospel nothing can steal that hope nothing can take that faith away nothing can kill that love in fact it increases nobody can steal your joy the Old Testament calls the people of God prisoners of hope you cannot escape the hope you are held captive by it. Why? Because God is not changing. And then we saw as Maria beautifully said who Jesus is. The supremacy of Christ is before all things, above all things. In him all things altogether. We were created by him and for him, giving purpose to life. And that same Jesus was the one that reconciled us to the Father. Isn't that beautiful? And then we looked at Christ in us, the hope of glory. Meaning that our salvation is so, so secure. How firm a foundation, how sure our salvation. Jesus began it. He's in us right now, busy seeing it through to the end. And he will come back himself to come and get us one day. There's nothing more sure than that. Nothing that can take that away from us. And then we looked at maturity in Christ. How do we mature? Firstly, we don't get born as mature Christians. We are immature when we come to Christ. We need to grow. And we do that through people instructing us and people correcting us. And when we are immature, that should happen often. Like it happens often with our kids when they are little. Don't do that. Don't go there. You shouldn't do that. Do this this way. Everything is instruction. Everything is correction. And to receive that in humility, that's the signs of mature Christianity. And then also as we grow to give the same in love, to give instruction and correction in love. That's how we grow. 
And many people experience this kind of stagnant place. I don't feel I'm growing in my faith anymore. I've went through all of the seminars. I've done all of the encounters. I've done Bible school. I need to grow more. And scripture says, it's not to receive more information. That's the gospel. You need to go and share that now. Your growth lies in going to make disciples. Otherwise, you will continue to feel passive and stagnant. Otherwise, we many times drift into new ways of thinking. That's where legalism, mysticism, and asceticism comes in. Let's learn some new things, some higher knowledge. No. You've received Christ. Now let's go share Christ with the world out there. And then Maria spoke about these three different types of teachings coming into this church. And as he said so beautifully as well, that his verse began with a therefore. And the therefore is verse 8 to 15. If we understand this, therefore, let no one pass judgment. If we understand this, then we don't fall into the trap of those other three things. And we're going to look at this as we go through this. And the previous two verses from this one said, as we receive Christ Jesus the Lord, let's walk in him. Rooted, built up, established, abounding in thanksgiving as we were taught. And from there we pick up here in verse 8. So let's read through it and see what we can learn. Verse 8 to 15. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, that he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Loaded passage of scripture. A lot of verses that we kind of have to go slow, pause, read over to see <clears throat> what it means and what we can learn. And it's in this context where verse 16 says, Therefore, therefore let no one pass judgment. Therefore do not be led astray with these false gospels, with these false teachings, because you understand what's happening here. But it all starts here with verse 8. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And interestingly, that see to, differently translated in different English versions as beware, look, take care. Afrikaans, pas op, kijk, maak seker. It's a verb. There's action attached to this word. And so the first thing that I want to ask us as Christians is how and if, if we are busy obeying this scripture, how are we doing that? Are we busy obeying this? See to it, take care, watch out, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. One of the interesting things, you know, specifically when it speaks about the end times, many people always want to say, you know, when are we going to learn about the end times, or when are we going to go through this, or you know, look at this prophecies, or look at that. 
It's good and well, it's in scripture, it's good to go and read through that, but the one thing that is abundantly clear through all of those things is what? See to it that you are not deceived. The first thing Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 24 verse 4 when they ask him about the end times is what? See to it that you are not deceived. See to it that no one leads you astray. Make sure, take heed, that this is something that we actively need to do. And the problem is, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a good thing and a problem, the fact that information is so readily available. It means the truth can spread quicker, but also that which is false. You see, in, in Paul's day, it was a little bit more difficult. And I can actually imagine the frustration, you know, because these false teachings and lies normally circulate in small circles and it grows and it grows and eventually it gets to someone that can figure out hey that's not the truth we should kind of do something about this thing that is circulating and that's what happened in this church eventually someone picks up Epaphras years okay no this is going on I don't know how long it's been going on for I don't know how many people it has reached but we're going to do something about this so there he runs or rides on a horse or whatever the case might be he needs to go and find Paul he cannot find him on his iPhone don't know where this guy is or whomever the case. And eventually he finds him. For Paul it was luckily easy because most of the time he was locked up. So he was at least in one place. You know, they could go and find him there. But go to him, explain everything to him. He writes the letter, they jog back, whatever the case might be. Get there and then read it to everybody and make sure that everybody understands it. Now you can kind of get the frustration, but what about that thing? And he's like, oh, I don't know, quickly <laughs> going to run again. If there's double books, you end to be a Corinthians. Oh, man. Now we've got to go again. But a bit frustrating. It takes longer. But luckily, falsehood could also not spread as fast. It also took some time for it to spread. But in our day and age, it's easy. Facebook, you open up. YouTube, you open up. Any form of social media, you put on the television, definitely. And even many times the things that we don't understand, even when we're just passively, you know, kind of looking at this movie that doesn't really have, you know, that much bad stuff according to us, it teaches you to think wrong. That's not how life works. It's not the gospel. It's not the standard of Christ. I remember one time we were actually asking one of our studies, or I can't remember what it was. Um, yeah, I can't remember what it was. Oh, biblical worldview. Speaking about the way we view the world and speaking about this subtle indoctrination that we actually get from movies that we don't think is, you know, that bad. And he speaks about the average rom-com, romantic comedy, or just a romantic movie. And inevitably, somewhere in the movie, there's two people gonna wanna have sex, or whatever the case might be, but they are not married yet. And the lecture asked us, when that moment comes, is something in you saying, yeah, come, just, just go for it already, because, you know, that's what the movie's about. With something in you screaming, no, that's not according to the standard of God. What's happening? You see, everywhere we look, if we're not careful, if we're not subtle, these things creep in. We're thinking, man, you know, my children are going to be confronted with this world in which these worldviews are abounding. But we don't take care. When was the last time you heard a message and actually went back to scripture and checked it yourself? To look at the context. Obviously, it's a little bit easier when we do it like this, verse for verse, going through it. But nonetheless, to go and check. 
to follow the trace. Therefore, so that, because of. Okay, no, that makes sense. This is the context of the scripture. When last did you go and check it? Because a lot of the time also mysticism creeps in. We see something on Facebook or a message or a quote or whatever. What? It makes me feel well. It must be good. Encouraging. Let's share. Copy paste. But do we actually make sure that that is actually the truth? Are we taking heed unto ourselves and unto others? Are we making sure? And how do we make sure? What do we look at primarily? That last sentence. And not according to Christ. And not according to Christ. In other words, it's not about Jesus. It's not about His finished work. At the end when we ask, okay, but what does this have to do about Jesus and His work on the cross? How does this get me closer to Jesus? What does this have to do with my relationship with Jesus? If the answer is nothing, then we don't want to deal with that. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to share that. It doesn't matter how encouraging it might seem. It's not according to Christ. To know the truth. In 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 10, it speaks about the end times and the misleading that's going to happen. From the devil that's going to come, Satan is going to deceive the world with wicked deception. For those that are perishing in verse 10, it says, because what? They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. It's to focus on the truth primarily. A lot of people go and investigate the false teachings, but they don't know the truth and they end up getting deceived in any way. Because what do you test that against? It's primarily to know the truth. And I like, yeah, as well, we've only gone through two chapters, and there's already been three gospel summaries in these two chapters. It always feels like we're preaching about Jesus and the gospel, which is a good thing. And some people asking, when are you going to preach about different things? We're just, we just following verse by verse here through this book, and it seems like all that Paul's focusing on is Jesus and the gospel. Seems like we're doing good so far. Why? Because when the enemy comes, like it says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, that I'm afraid that your thoughts will be led away from appearance and sincere devotion to Christ. How? By someone coming proclaiming a different gospel, different Jesus, different spirit. That's why, that's how. That's why we need to know the gospel. That's why we need to know who Jesus is. And the next growth doesn't lie in some higher knowledge or revelation. It's in sharing that with the people around us. That's how we grow. That's what we are supposed to know. And it says here, not according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, two things we need to note here. One of the greatest strongholds in any culture is that of tradition. It's that of tradition. Man, people hold fast to tradition. It's the way we've always done it. My grandfather did it that way. My dad did it that way. Man, I'm also going to do it that way. Just because we've always done it that way. It's one of the greatest strongholds that we face. Jesus in his time, exactly the same thing. It says to the Pharisees, In vain do you teach the traditions of men rather than the word of God. Tradition. A deadly thing. A difficult thing to break free from. A difficult thing to actually be sober-minded about. Because not only have we seen it, we've done it. And we've promoted it. Ten to one. There's kind of stages of acknowledging that something's wrong. That we need to just acknowledge for a moment. If you believe something that's false, 
Just as human beings fallen in sin, do you know how difficult it is just to acknowledge that we are wrong? You with me? I think nobody like just joyously, oh yes, I'm wrong. I feel so good about that. No, nobody likes that. It's not easy to acknowledge, specifically in the Western world where you know we all these intellectual people. Secondly, if we've believed a lie and we've applied that lie to our life, do you know how difficult it is now to acknowledge that that is the wrong thing to do? And now the last step, if we've believed that lie, if we've applied that lie and we've taught, we've taught that lie to the people around us, do you know how difficult it is then to acknowledge that that is not true? Very, very dangerous. And listen to what it says here, not according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, meaning spiritual powers and principalities. These chapters or these passages of scripture deals with two things, reconciling us to God and defeating Satan and his demons. That's what it says here in verse 15, we're going to get to that in a moment. But the elemental spirits of this world, just like Maria said, that same wording is found in, chapter, in verse 20 of the same passage. And again in 1 Timothy 1 verse 4 when it speaks about the same false teachings, it says what? The Spirit expressly says that in the last time people will fall away from the faith devoting themselves to the teachings of demons. These people's conscience are seared. So it's people but the reality and the entity behind them are the evil spirits. And again in the West, we don't like to acknowledge that. We said most, we're going to leave them alone and they'll leave us alone. You know what's going on here? Many times I have that strange view. As if the devil's nice. If you see him in town, just don't look him in the eyes, you know, and he'll leave you be. It's not how it works. So all of the false teachings and all of these things going around us, yes, it's people that's taking them to the places where they are sent. But don't be confused about the reality and the entity behind them. Amen? It's a spiritual battle. Don't keep devil. I think, I, do I look thirsty, I think. Thanks, David. But that's the reality behind that. And that's what we should take care of. And that's what we should know, the finished work of Christ on the cross. And that is what this rest of the passage explains. Listen to what it says in verse 9 and 10. And not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Focus on Jesus, for and, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Everything is in Christ. He is God himself. He is more than enough. There's nothing extra. There's nothing that we need to add. And when we are in him, we have received the fullness. We've been filled. Afrikaans say in folate dat ontvang. We've been filled in him, in the one in whom the fullness of deity dwells bodily. God himself. There's nothing else needed. There's no extra things that we need to do. And here it's important to understand the problem that we have as humanity. We've said it a couple of times here, but there's four aspects to the gospel that we need to understand if we fully want to understand it. And there is problem, solution, response, and effect. Problem, solution, response, and effect. People, we, as human beings, we have the problem that we bring to the table. Jesus comes and gives us the solution in who he is and what he has done. And the Spirit enables a 
response. We don't just look at that. No, the gospel says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. If you want your sins forgiven, you need to confess your sins. Forgive those as you've been forgiven. There's a response. It's not a passive thing. It's what the gospel produces. And then there's an effect called sanctification. We look like we're supposed to look again, conformed again to the image of Jesus. Problem, solution, response, and effect. And we need to understand the problem fully. It's a threefold problem. Like we say, Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 3 explains it maybe the best. For we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Dead in sin, led by the devil, destined for the wrath of God. Threefold problem, serious problem. And I know we don't like that second one, you know, led by the devil, that's quite serious. How? When we believe lies, when we apply lies, he's the father of lies, then we follow him. Or we follow Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, like we just sang. It's as easy as that. It's not always occultic stuff. It's not like saying, I've never had a Ouija board, that's not true. The only thing I use a glassy for is to drink something out of, then play with it. It's not how it works. It's the truth which lies. This very book, said in the first chapter in verse 13, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness. It's not my idea. 1 John 5 verse 19, we belong to God, but the world lays in the power of the evil one. The whole world. That's how it works. Led by the devil, destined for the wrath of God. And Jesus comes, and he's the solution to all three of these problems. He's not just the one that forgives us, and then the rest we kind of have to deal with with ourselves. Your sins are forgiven, but to please God, you know, that's one on your own. To deal with the devil and those things, yeah, again, on your own. We came and he forgave my sin and he kind of dealt with the devil, but this whole thing of being alive, I'm just supposed to be miserable for the rest of life, that you kind of need some weird advice when you go to counseling. They'll give you some stuff there. No. All of it. It's Christ and Christ alone. We don't need all of the other things. And specifically, guys, when it comes to the enemy, I know in the West it's a kind of a difficult thing to speak about, principalities and powers, because like I say, we kind of have this mentality that we'll leave them alone, they'll leave us alone. I don't know where we read that, what verse says that, but it's not how it works. Like I said, we, we sometimes believe that the devil's nice for some reason. Where the book of Revelation says, Rejoice, O heaven, because he's been cast down, and the one that accuses us day and night has been thrown off. But woe to you, O earth, because the devil has come down to you in great wrath, and he knows his time is short. Turning his attention to the church. That's what scripture says. We need to be aware of that. You know, because he does say, yes, he disarmed the principalities and powers and all of that. But that's only true for those who are in Christ. It doesn't say he killed all of them. They're still running around. You know, some people believe that yet, that just doesn't work that way anymore. They're disarmed. They can do nothing to nobody. But through the rest of the New Testament and in Acts, we still see people that are demon-possessed. In Acts 19, we read that a lot of people were healed of their sicknesses, delivered of their demons, and then seven sons of a high priest named Skeva said that they're also going to go find some demon-possessed people and they're going to use this Jesus who Paul proclaims to drive out these demons. And what happens? They get there and they address the demon. We adjure you by the Jesus that Paul proclaims to come out of the man. And scripture says what? And the demon said to them, 
Again, very uncomfortable thing for us here in the West. It's not me making that up. The demon spoke to them. That's what scripture says. We say it a couple of times through scripture. And the demon said to them, Jesus we know, Paul we recognize, but who are you? And the demon possessed man leapt on them and he beat them and they ran out of that house, out of that house naked and sore. And fear came across all the people. It's not true except if we are in Christ. Are you with me? Very important to understand. It's still real. We wrestle against spiritual powers, not against flesh and blood. But in the West, we like to fight with one another rather. It's because we can see one another. I don't know why. But in light of that, Paul explains the beautiful work of Jesus on the cross. Speaking about salvation in verse 11 and 12. Again, true for those who have been saved. It says the following. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Just quickly to explain, this just speaks about a person that is saved with faith in Christ, speaking about an internal work. Verse 11, that means that it's not because of an outward work that we've done to bring us closer to God. No, it's because of an inward work that God does. That brings us closer to him. Man doesn't purify himself from the outside inward. God does so from the inside outward. He brings the change on the inside and that is reflected on the outside. He's the one that's doing the work made without hands. It's not a work-based salvation. It's by the grace of God. And then verse 12, just important to quickly just stand still here for a while. Just a quick moment. Having been buried with him in baptism... That doesn't mean that baptism saves us. It doesn't mean that this is true for all who have been baptized and those who haven't been baptized, sorry, kind of not for you. No, this is what baptism points to. Speaking about a sacrament. Same with Romans 6. We have been buried with him in baptism. It speaks about what baptism points to. The day we are saved, we are immersed in Christ. We die to self. We are raised again for God. To love is Christ. It speaks about what baptism points to. Not the physical act of baptism, but what it points to. Same as with communion. When we eat the bread, when we drink the juice, it's not Jesus being crucified. It points to Jesus that was crucified. Same is true for baptism. When we get baptized, it points to the reality that already happened. We are not saved as we get baptized, but baptism points to, it shows to what happened, our salvation. And what's so beautiful here is just the illustration of baptism so beautiful. There's not just a physical expression, but it's also a spiritual one. Why? To the spiritual realm. The book of Peter tells us that the Israelites were baptized through the Red Sea and under the cloud in Moses. What happened to the enemies as they passed through the water? Closed over them. They came across the other side as free men and women. God's people. And the same is true when we are in Christ. And the same is illustrated when we get baptized. The enemy no longer has an hold on us. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful illustration of what God comes to do. And then after this, and also just there, through faith in the powerful working of God. For who is baptism? It's not for infants. It's for those who have faith in the powerful working of God who raised Christ from the dead. Those who have been saved already. So this speaking about salvation, and now it explains to us what Jesus did for us. And I want us to look at the tense in which Paul writes these next couple of verses. Many times it's in a continuous tense as the gospel has 
still busy doing something in our lives or what God has called us to in the present tense as God comes and does something in our lives. But now he writes in the past tense. This is past tense. This is done. It is finished. You need to see this. beautiful. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the incircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. It is done. It is past tense. There's nothing we can add to that. There's nothing we can take away from that. It is done. He has made us alive. Threefold problem, dead in sin, and we are alive again in Christ. Life is found in Christ. In Genesis 1.26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. Why is that important? Because in the creation account, whenever God addresses something, it speaks about the life source of what he's creating. He says to the ground, Bring forth trees and plants and everything bearing seed. And the ground brought forth the plants. And the trees. Take the tree out of the ground, it dies. It's his life source. God says to the water, and let the waters be filled with fish. And the waters begin to swarm with all kinds of fish. Take the fish out of the water, it's dead. But when God made us, he says, let us make man in our image. God speaking to himself, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in God, we have life. John 10, 10, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. John 17, verse 3, this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's to know God. On some of the boards we have up throughout the town, we ask the following question. I don't know if you've ever seen them. But Jesus came to give life. Does it feel like you're truly living? And to ask us that question tonight. Jesus came to give life. Does it feel like you're truly living? Not to turn it into mysticism, but do you feel that love, that joy, that hope, that peace, that life and life in abundance? Not because of our circumstances, but because of who Jesus is. Like Gwinnett said, if it's just Jesus, is that enough? Or do you still want something else? Do you still think there's something else that needs to come and fulfill you? Because in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, a well-known verse, we read, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. But again, that word starts with therefore. What does the previous verses say? It says the love of Christ compels us because we have concluded that one has died, namely Christ. Therefore all has died, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. Because we live for him, but many times we're still living for ourselves and we do not experience that life. And you know what the saddest thing is when legalism comes in here? The very thing that's supposed to give life brings death. The very thing that's supposed to give life actually depletes us. How many times I've heard people say, and it just it devastates me, not because of what they are doing, but because of the misconception of the gospel. Someone that says, yes, Sunday we wanted to come to church and we stood up as a family, but we just said, yeah, oh, now what, we're too tired. We're just going to take a rest day. Do you hear the implication there? Because coming to God would be tiring for us. Doing this work again, doing this thing for God so that I can get whatever I need from Him or so that I can get into heaven or so that He can accept me again. It's just this work thing and the thing that's supposed to give life depletes us. I have to stand up and just read my Bible now and the thing that's supposed to give life depletes us. 
because we see it the wrong way. There's a book by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you've ever read that. It's a fictional book about two demons writing to one another about how they deceive mankind. And it's a junior demon and a senior demon. And the junior demon writes to his senior demon, his uncle. And he says, man, we're in trouble. This Christian guy, he's on fire. And he just loves going to church and worshiping with God's people. And he's studying his Bible and he's praying constantly. What do I do with this guy? There's no way that we can turn him now. And the, all the demon writes back. He says, just sell him the lie that he doesn't want to do that. He has to do that. And how many times doesn't that happen with us? And it's so sad. The thing that's supposed to give life, the things that's supposed to fulfill, ends up depleting because we have the wrong view of the gospel. So easy. And instead of just drawing closer to Christ so that he can come and fill us, so that he can be everything for us, no, let's add a bunch of stuff in there. Let's do a bunch of stuff and find our purpose in the things that we do rather. So easy that that happens. When it comes to delivering deliverance ministries or counseling, it's not the simplistic gospel where we forgive, repent, and make restitution. No, now there's all kinds of other stuff involved as well. We need to do this, and we need to have this vision, and we need to do that. No, simplistic because of Christ, so that we can draw closer to Him, because in Him there is life. And in Him we are made alive together with God. Amen? That is life. And now, destined for the wrath of God, in enmity with God, as chapter 1 verse 21 said, that Maria said also so beautifully, we were hostile in mind, alienated from God, busy with evil deed. But he reconciled us to God. Verse 14, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demand. This is set aside, nailing it to the cross. Again, past tense, it stood against us. It doesn't stand against us anymore. It is done, it is finished. He has reconciled us to God. And do we, do we understand this? Do we comprehend this? Many times we believe, yeah, okay, I know he forgave my sin, but I don't know if the Father is pleased with me. Maybe he'll let me into heaven, but I don't think he wants to spend time with me. But I don't know if we understand that, if we grasp that reality. The Almighty God who created everything actually delights in spending time with us. Tomorrow morning when you stand up reading your Bible, praying, he's not like, oh, okay, let's do it because what my son did got to see them now he delights in that do we realize that do we comprehend that i know we understand that up here but i mean do we really comprehend that that the god who created everything because of the finished work of christ on the cross delights in spending time with us and when he looks at us he sees the perfect work of christ set aside nailed to the cross it is finished it is done and again this doesn't mean we live in lawlessness doesn't mean that we just do whatever we want to do. No, in faith it still needs a response. And what does that response mean? It means we confess our sin. And we stop with our sin. Because of what Jesus has done for us. 1 John 1 verse 9 says it so beautifully. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And he will forgive us our sins. And he will clean us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that beautiful? He will. I shall. Because of the work of Christ on the cross, it's done, it's finished. Stop with the extras. 
And many times we kind of feel, oh, I didn't read my Bible today, so I'm not going to ask God for anything, or Him. He's not going to use me today because I didn't do my part. It's not how it works. That's legalism. It's not how it works. It's not how God works. We do something that we know we shouldn't, or maybe that sin that we constantly struggle with, and man, we did well for a week or two, and now, whoops, there we fall again. And now we're like, oh man, I built up a three-week track record. Man, God was really pleased with me. Now I need to start all over again. It's not how it works. It's not the gospel. We repent and we move on. Many times you're like, okay, yeah, I didn't read my Bible for a while, and now I repent. Now I at least have to get, get a couple of weeks in before you know, God's going to do anything for me. It's not how it works. It's not the gospel. In Jesus, we have been reconciled with the Father. Do you know what reconciliation means? The restitution of a friendly relationship. We've been brought into a relationship with God again. It's not so that the angry man can say we, we can enter into heaven when we get there one day. No, we can be in relationship with him now. Through the finished work of Christ on the cross. And then lastly, verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness. Like chapter 1 verse 13 says. In Christ. And again, this doesn't mean that we just do nothing. It means that we wear the armor of God, as Ephesians 6 says, but in Christ, standing in Christ. Therefore, stand in the Lord in the power of His might. Amen? Because He overcame them. We've been filled in Him. And we need to address that. And we need to do what God has called us to do, but in Christ. And what does the false teaching say? Now we have some high revelation, some high knowledge. Man, we even know the ranks and the names of certain demons. And you ask the people, okay, where did you know? No, the demons told us. Like, wow, that's a credible source of information. No, but we told them in Jesus' name they have to tell the truth. I'm like, yeah, that didn't check a work. It has to work. Just making a joke, by the way. It's not how it works. Doesn't matter what rank, doesn't matter the name, in Jesus' name, get out. It's as easy as that. In Jesus. In Christ. Now we know you need to go and pour salt there and pour salt there and mix these oils and go and pray there and stand like this and say these words. No. No. In Christ alone. He's disarmed them. He's triumphed over them. He said to his disciples, I give you all authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. It's as easy as that. And you know, many times also, when asceticism comes in, you know, fasting to get this, you know, we need this anointing, we need this spiritual power. Specifically when we go on mission trips, you know, up into Africa, where we know there's a lot of sangomas or witch doctors and people's busy with ancestral worship and whatever, now we need to fast because we need to power up, guys. Kind of like, you know, one of those Dragon Ball Z movies. We need to at least reach level two before we get there because those people don't play around. It's not how it works. We faster that we can be with Jesus. You know, when the people came to Jesus and they asked him, hey, the disciples of John's fasting, the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, your disciples are not fasting. What did Jesus say? I'm standing in front of them. It's impossible. I'm here with them. What are they longing for? What are they hungry for? I'm standing right here. It's impossible for them to fast. 
But they don't have homes and Peter's mother-in-law is still sick and they kind of need this. No, that's not why we fast. I'm standing right in front of them. But there will be a day when the bridegroom is taken away. Then they will fast. When I am removed, then they will long. Then they will hunger. And that's why we fast. And yes, being close to Jesus has certain benefits, but that's not why we do it. Yes, Jesus leads us. Yes, he provides for us. Yes, he fills us with authority, but that's not why we do that. Amen? It's so that we can be with him. And him alone. I want to end off us with John 19, verse 30, speaking about the crucifixion of Jesus. It says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. It is done. Nothing to add, nothing to take away from. For all who believe in Christ, let's stop with the extras. We don't need to do certain things. We don't need some higher knowledge. We don't need some visions to be puffed up. We don't need to withhold ourselves from the good things God gave. No, in Christ alone, it is finished, it is done. Amen? Let's stand tonight and let's pray together.